over the last uh, several weeks, we've been talking about grief. And we've talked about the reality that we are, are all going to face it at some point. There's just, it's unavoidable. It's inescapable. Uh, and and the, the first step in dealing with that reality is learning as a follower of Christ to have this pattern of running to Him, running to the Lord on a regular basis. Uh, and, and leaning into him. Then we talked about the situation that Paul talked to the church, uh, one of the New Testament churches, where they were struggling, thinking, well, I thought you said Jesus was coming back soon, but people are beginning to die, and he hasn't come back yet. What's going to happen to them? And the reminder there is whether we are alive when the Lord comes back or whether we have passed on, uh, we're all going to be there if we follow the Lord and we have that promise. Then we talked about that psalm written by Asaph. He didn't write a whole lot, but he wrote a psalm about how it's easy to get captivated, isn't it, by the world, to look around and go, they've got it better than we've got it. They've got it easier than we've got it. And yet we need to remember that those of us who know God really have it better because we have the Lord and we have that destination ahead of us. And then we looked at that battle uh, that John the Beloved talked about where knowing that our victory is not wrapped up in the life we live, whatever our struggles are, whatever our trials are, whatever our griefs are, but they're in the Lord. This morning I come to a passage uh, in the book of Romans. Uh, it's commonly believed that Paul, uh, the apostle, wrote this letter. I tend to lean that way. There's some really outlandish uh, theories about who wrote the book because it doesn't specifically say, I, Paul, write this letter. So you're kind of left with piecing it together. But I think Paul wrote the letter, and he wrote this letter, I believe, as he was in prison uh, at Caesarea at the sea, waiting trial that he believed would ultimately end up with him being shipped out to Rome and end up in prison and under trial and under the 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 whim, if you will, of the emperor. And so he writes this letter to a group of people he's never met before. I've never written a letter to anybody I didn't know. It's kind of weird. You think sit down and write a letter to people you don't know, but that's what he did. And he wanted them to know some things about life and difficulties. And one of them is the inevitability of us facing grief. And he wants them to understand a truth that I think is important that we, we see this morning is that Ultimately, for those of us who follow the Lord, if you want to write down one quick sentence of what it's all about, if ultimately those of us who follow the Lord, glory's coming. Eternity's coming. Eternity is a promise for those of us who know Jesus. And we should lean into that. But I want to follow you, uh, lead you through this passage just to kind of see it and, and grasp what they're talking about. Uh, the first thing I want you to do is let's go to verse 18. For I consider... Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, Paul writes in pretty grandiose language here, but I think what he's trying to tell us, first of all, is this. Our lives are just a short-lived struggle. Our lives are a short-lived struggle. You say, but I've been in my struggle for years. I've been in my struggle for decades. I feel like I've been in my struggle all my life. Some of us have that road. Some of us have struggles that last for a while and then go away. And then a new struggle comes. But our lives ultimately are short-lived struggles. 
We, uh, we understand that we are either, either in grief, we are coming out of grief, or we're about to go into grief. It's just one of those things. Grief, trials, difficulties, they're inevitable. They're even unavoidable. And while we endure them, they just seem like they're never going to go away. They will. In this reality, we're assured that whatever we face as a follower of Christ, whatever we face is nothing in comparison to the glory that God has for us in the future. You know, we live in a, a day and age as Americans, and this is uh, the, the week of our nation's uh, founding uh, and birthday, and we're, we're grateful for our nation. We live in a nation where, for the most part, we don't face a lot of difficulties and trials and struggles. We have systems in place so that people don't go hungry, for the most part, though there's, there's places where people still do. But around the world, many followers of Jesus face serious trials, serious struggles, Serious difficulties. Think about Paul. Let's go with him since he wrote the letter. He, he was a man who had been beaten, who'd been shipwrecked, who'd been stoned, who'd been left for dead. Uh, you know, in our day, there are followers of Jesus who still cannot be public about their faith. They have to be quiet about it or they can get in trouble with their governments, with their people that they live around. There are people who are following Jesus that within the last year or less have been beheaded because of their faith in Christ. You're thinking, whoa, I thought my struggle was bad. Yeah. But the high call here I want you to get is, it's, is it that we're not called to ignore the suffering. I don't think we need to live and act like we don't have any or that it's no big deal or just to blow it off. They're, they're real. But we need to learn to see them in light of eternity, of the big picture of God's reality. We are all going to live a certain number of years, and then we're going to pass from this earth. Um, my wife is away right now, so I'm hoping she's not watching uh, online because I'm going to tell you something I did yesterday that she doesn't realize I do sometimes. Uh, but when she's out of town, I will go through the refrigerator and I'm looking for numbers. You know what number I'm looking for? The what? The date. The expiration date on items, okay? Now, I know some people say, well, that's just a suggested date. Uh, in my world, that is a reality. I am not going past that date, okay? I mean, if it says it expired yesterday, I'm not touching it today, okay? I, my, I don't want to run the risk. Well, so I went through the fridge yesterday, and I found stuff from April expired. Shh, don't tell her. I found some stuff from March expired. So I hadn't done it in a while, apparently. And I found some stuff from June, which well, that's not that far ago. But I got to tell you, all that stuff has expired. So I got a big pile of trash to take to the road in the morning, okay, to clean it out. But, but why am I telling you that? Because things are short-lived. I got to tell you, you have on you and I have on me somewhere stamped. It may be on our backside so we can't see it. But an expiration date. You with me? And God knows when that's going to happen. We are all going to expire. So the struggles we have will someday come to an end. But we need to look at things not from our perspective, but from God's perspective. Not from our reality of time, but from God's looking at time. See, he's not limited to our time. You remember when you were a kid and you'd look at somebody and they'd go, man, they're old. They're like 35. What happened to that? Right? Now we look at it and go, hmm, 80's not too bad, is it? My dad just passed 80 recently. Some of our church are about to hit 80. I'm thinking, oh, that, that used to seem old to me. It's not old anymore. Now, it's mature, but it's not old. Y'all with me? Okay. 
But all of us have got an expiration day. Are we going to deal, deal with trials? Yes. Are we going to have strife in life? Yes. Are we going to have heartaches in life? Yes. But in comparison to God's timeline, it's short-lived. And we need to grasp that. But the world we live in is also strife-filled. Look at verse 19. Paul addresses this issue. He says, For the creation... And, and, and by the way, he's not talking about necessarily you and me, though we're included in the creation. He's really, I think, talking about the world in which we live, the environment, if you will, the reality of the earth itself. He says, for the creation waits the eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So in light of these short-lived trials and griefs, we're reminded that the world in which we live is also filled with strife and struggles and difficulties. The creation is waiting with eager longing. I think we struggle with understanding what happened at the fall of Adam and Eve. Now, some of you say, well, I don't necessarily believe in that they were real people. I'm going to be real simplistic here and say, well, the Bible tells me it's true, so I'm going to take it as truth and go with it. He, he created a man. He created a woman. And they lived for a while and had an amazing environment in which to live. No trials, no struggles, no difficulties. And then they made a choice. And you're saying, they? No, no. She made a choice. No, guys, they made a choice. You're thinking, what do you mean? I, I, the more I've studied that passage, the more I'm convinced that what happened was Adam was there. Eve was the one tempted to take the fruit from the tree. But Adam stood there like a lot of us as men do going, well, honey, whatever you want. You resemble that remark. Which was his failing. He should have protected his wife. Stepped in and said, honey, this is not a good idea. We need to do a better joy job here. And so they stepped into that. They stepped into this reality. And in that moment, yes, Adam and Eve took on the, the burden of sin. Yes, they looked around and go, hey, we're naked, okay? That whole thing's true. But they also did something to the creation itself that we don't grasp. Before that happened, people didn't die. People didn't get cancer. People didn't get sick. People didn't have struggles. They didn't have conflict. They didn't have strife. They didn't have fights. They didn't have all that stuff that we now have. And so the world is strife-filled. In that one act, the entirety of creation, people and nature, were utterly corrupted by the presence of sin. You were, I was, the whole of creation was. We were subjected forcibly to futility is the way he phrases it in the text. The whole of nature become corrupted and flawed. Vegetation became wild. You got weeds in your garden? That's why. You got pains in your backside? That's why. Those didn't happen before. And he added to this, the seed of evil in the hearts of people. And what was once described by God as good became quite not so good. A mess. And yet, 
the creation still groans. And I want you to, if you're, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, write, underline that word groan, because it is a, it is an important word that is repeated three times in this passage. He's groaning. So we're going to see these ideas that groan, the, the groaning for restoration, groaning for healing, groaning for redemption. Before the fall, we didn't have all of that stuff, but now we struggle with it. Now we wrestle with it. Now we have to deal with loved ones passing away. Now we have to lo- deal with going to hospitals and put us back together. Now we have to deal with all that stuff. And all of the creation is groaning for something better. Groaning for restoration. Now we have wars. How many wars has our country had to fight in to protect and preserve our way of life? Without the fall, there would have been no wars. That's hard for us to even understand, isn't it? We think that didn't make sense. Now we have wars on a regular basis. We have rumors of wars on a regular basis. And our world groans under the weight of everything it has. But get this. Jesus' followers struggle as well. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. Now understand, he's writing as a believer to a Christian audience, okay? So he is not including Everybody in this, he's talking to those of us who follow Jesus. You with me? He says, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan. Now, that's the second instance of the word groan, by the way. Groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So you add to these trials and strife the reality that we as Jesus are going to deal with these struggles as well. And we kind of start going, okay, what do we do? It is not just the creation that is filled with strife, but those of us who are the first fruits of the Spirit. You probably don't think of yourself that way. I don't usually walk around going, well, I'm a first fruit of the Spirit. But that's who you are in Christ. And this is, by the way, the second groan. Now, the word that's used in the Greek language is tenazo. Don't write it down. It's not important. But it has a couple of meanings. And it can mean the one that uh, a woman in childbirth goes through. Uh, Many of, uh, well, all of us as guys don't have any clue what that's about. And most of us would say, praise God. Okay? Those of you who've been through it, you go, woo, I wouldn't wish that on my own worst enemy. You with me? That's that groaning, that straining, that pushing to, get to to deliver that child. That is one thought of. That's not, I don't think, what he's talking about here. The other is the idea of a groan in response to what's coming. Now, that could be something good or something bad. The idea that you're going, oh, I've got to go to work today and deal with a problem. Ugh, uh, I don't want to do it. It also means I get to go and hand out bonus checks today at work. You know with me? And that, that, oh, I get to do that. Oh, it's great. Groaning. But in this context, it's the sense of a joyous anticipation that says this. God has saved me. He's working the process of salvation in my life. And adoption, final adoption papers, if you will, come complete one day. It's coming. Do you sense it? Do you understand who it is? It's coming for you. The promise that you have with glory coming one day. This groaning. See, even those of us who are followers of Jesus are going to struggle with this stuff. We're going to go through it, the hardships. We're going to face hardship. 
just like those who don't know Jesus. We're going to experience loss of opportunities. We're going to face the loss of loved ones. We're going to face the hardship of life in life. And yet we do that as a follower of Jesus, listen, with a hope. Hope of what? Hope of glory. We don't talk like that much anymore, do we? We don't talk about glory. But we're talking about eternity. We live with the hope that Jesus is going to settle in the end and those of us who are His will find a much better eternity than those who aren't. Have you ever thought about it in those terms? We, we, we kind of bought into kind of a, a creeping universalism in America today where it says this, well, everybody who's going to go to heaven, it's just going to matter how they get there. The reality is not everybody's going to heaven. Those of us who know Jesus have that promise of glory. And for those of us who know Jesus, we, we yearn, we groan, we ache for that final adoption someday. That day when our life comes to an end, when our expiration date's up, and God says, come on home, and we're there. Because on that day, here's what we're going to discover. The promises of God that He made on the day of salvation will now become complete in reality in our lives, and we will stand in the presence of God, and we will like, wow. And all the grief, and all the troubles, and all the struggles, and all the hardship, and all the difficulty will be gone for us. But in this life, we still have trials. In this life, we still have hardships. But we're not alone. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit, he's talking about who? Not what, who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we don't know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with, uh uh-oh, here's our word again, with what? Groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what's in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the spirits according to for the saints according to the will of God. So we come to the third groan in the passage. But this groan is not the world. The world is groaning because it's under the weight of sin and all the mess. We are groaning um, because we want Christ to be there. And we struggle and we deal with the issues of life just like everyone else does. But this groaning is coming from where? From the Spirit of God. You're going, oh, who is the Spirit? That's a great question. Who is the Spirit of God? Spirit of God is God incarnate within us. If you're a follower of Jesus, God himself set up camp, if you will, in your life on the day of your salvation. You go, I don't remember that. Because it just happens. It's just what, what, what the process is. And so he, he moves within us. He dwells within us. He's also the one who moves in the earth, wooing people. So if you responded to Christ and, and followed Jesus, it was because the Spirit was speaking to you. But I think here he's talking more about the presence of God within us, the focus in our lives. Remember, Paul was not writing to everybody in Rome. He was writing to the people in the church at Rome, to the ones who followed Jesus. So he's talking to who? To those of us who are Christian, okay? Those of us who follow Christ. He's speaking to believers like you and me. He wants them to get this. The power of God is already living within them. And He is at work in them and in us, if we want an extension to our lives. Will there be trials? Yes. Will there be strife? Yes. Will there be struggles? Yes. But we are not alone. God's Spirit dwells within us. And He 
supports us and carries us and groans for us with utterings that we can't even come up with ourselves and speaks on our behalf. One of the amazing things about being a follower of Jesus, and there's many, but one of them is when he ascended to heaven. Do you remember what he said? He says, just a few days hence, and I will send to you the comforter. And he'll be with you. And he'll walk with you. Sometimes we get a little weird about the Holy Spirit and some churches. I don't think we ought to around here. I don't think we do around here. But the Spirit of God moves in us. He sent the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within you as a follower of Christ. He sent the Holy Spirit to come and live within you. And so part of his job is to intercede on your behalf, on my behalf, so that when trials come, when hardship comes, when grief comes, guess who's already at work? The Spirit of God in our lives. So what do we do with this? Three quick thoughts. Number one, troubles are temporary. You go, you don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. I've been dealing with this for decades. Okay? I'll give that yours may be longer than somebody else, but it's still Temporary. Notice I didn't say troubles are always short. I didn't say troubles are always easy. I didn't say troubles are to be desired. Okay, But they are temporary, especially when you live within the light of God's eternal perspective. For some times, trials, troubles, and grief are going to go on for a long time. They're going to be difficult to handle. And i got to tell you, they're never to be desired. Oh, I'd hope to have some trials today. I mean, you, you worry about that kind of person, right? Something wrong with her brain. You're like, I hope I have grief today. What? That's not us, okay? We don't want to deal with that, but it does come. But it's following a Jesus, we live with an eternal perspective that says this, I am absolutely 100% certain that one day the troubles that I face, the grief that I tra- face, the struggles that I have, the trials that I'm in will go away. Why? Because he's going to take me home one day. And they will be gone. We live with a blessed assurance there's coming a day when God will wipe away every tear. There's coming a day when the ugliness of the world is going to cease. And there's coming a day when we will stand in the presence of the Lord Himself. Wow. I get excited about that. I get excited about that. Because while we are in the hard times, we, we feel like it's going to never end. But the reality is, we, if we have a God-sized perspective, we can, as an old friend of mine used to say, this too shall pass. It will pass. You're going, but it doesn't seem to be going away yet. But it will. Because troubles are ultimately temporary. You know, I go to the funeral of a person I know is a Christian, and there's that clear evidence that their life is just... Man, bubbles Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Or I, have, I get the privilege of, of preaching or speaking at one of those funerals. I, I, I get a little jealous at times. You're going, what? I get a little jealous about them. I'm going, they've got what I'd like to have. Not a, not a casket, okay? But they've been delivered to what? To the presence of God. Wow! That's cool. You're thinking, that's weird, okay? No, I think it's cool. Because that is, if you're a child of God, that is your destination, right? And the troubles that we're in are temporary. They're going to go away. 
You go, man, I wish they'd go away sooner. Well, don't wish that too fast. But, but over in the second letter of, of the, to the church at Corinth, Paul reminded them of the pain and suffering this world is going to go away. He said this. He said, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And we look where? Not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. Kind of like all that stuff I cleaned out of the fridge yesterday. But the things that are unseen are eternal. In fact, the afflictions of this world, really what they have, they they prepare us for the promise of one day. Because in comparison to the ugliness of this world, the strife of this world, the pain of this world, the grief of this world, arriving at the throne of God has in no comparison to those at all. It's all temporary. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say it was short. But it will go away one day. Second, and we've kind of talked about this a lot during the series, but I want to kind of drill a little bit further into this one. Grief is part of our existence. You know, every once in a while I run across somebody who says, well, I've never had to deal with grief in my life. And, and you know, I kind of think to myself, are they really being honest? Or have they just been that fortunately sheltered? One of the two. You know what I'm saying? Which one is it? Because I remember the first time I ever dealt with grief was as an 11-year-old boy. Three days after my birthday when I turned 11. And word came that my grandmother had passed away. First time I had to deal with it on a personal level. And I worked through it and dealt with it, of course, just like we all do. But it becomes part of who we are. And then the next one happens, and then the next one happens, and then sometimes they come in rapid succession, don't they? This is like boom, boom, boom. Someone passes, then someone else passes, then someone else passes. And you're going, oh, it's part of our existence. We can't get away from it. It's unavoidable. We, we've talked about this. So we want to ask ourselves as Christians, well, why didn't God just take away all that stuff? Why didn't he take it away? Let me remind you, we've inherited from our first parents who rebelled against God's command a world filled with strife and hardship and grief. It's part of who we are. You know, you think back to Adam and Eve. They were given a perfect world. They were given the reality of a creation itself that rejoiced in the Lord. I'm not even sure what that looks like. They were given a place where they could live unmolested by disease, never face trials, never had grief. They didn't have death. But they did what we often do. We said, well, I know better. This is what we're going to do. And so they rebelled against God. And we all have heard the consequences of Eve, childbirth being painful, all that kind of stuff. Adam also had his consequences, and it says this. And to Adam, God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In this life, I would love to stand here and tell you, if you trust Jesus as your Savior, you will never have trial or struggle or difficulty or troubles or grief ever again. And that's just not true. But the good news is this. Jesus' work on the cross means we have one in whom we can hope 
in those seasons and in those times. For greater is he who lives in me than he who lives in the world. One final thought. We'll finish early today. The Holy Spirit always stands ready. For those of us who know the Lord, the Holy Spirit always stands ready. The Holy Spirit is always with you. That's got some deep implications. We're not going to spend time digging into this morning. But one of them is this. He's not far away. You don't have to go, well, God, I don't know where you are. Will you come and maybe show up tomorrow and help? He's right here. The Holy Spirit dwells within you as a child of God. He's there giving, uh, ready to give everything you need in the face of hardship, trial, and grief. Because when you answer the call to follow Jesus, and if you haven't yet, this is what will happen, even though we don't often talk about it in that process. And if you have already, this is what happened on the day you trusted Christ. He placed within you His Holy Spirit. You go, well, I've never prayed for the Holy Spirit to come on my life, so I don't have it. That's not how it works according to the Scriptures, baby. Baby? Whoa. Y'all? Um... I feel like I was talking to the daughter a second there, sorry. It's not how it works. He comes into our lives. He sets up camp and residence within us and dwells within us. And He's always there, always ready, always waiting, always wooing, always talking, always with you. How do you get through things as a child of God? The Holy Spirit's right there to carry you through it and give you the strength. And once you respond to him, he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. It means he's always there. Jesus told his disciples this. It's in context of dealing with how to deal with struggles. But I think this is applicable to what we're talking about here. He says this, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. Why? For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. He's right there waiting. Oh, and by the way, that was before the Spirit came to dwell within us. He said to be there. Now He's with us all the time. And the way we access that support is what? By leaning into the walk and talk of Jesus. And we've talked about this in the series some, but I think many of us who have answered God's call to follow have forsaken the ongoing walk. Christian faith is way more than what we do on this campus on a Sunday morning. Did you hear that? It's way more than what we do on a Sunday school class. Way more than what we do in a worship service. It'd be like coming to have a meal here on Sunday morning and then say, I won't eat again until next Sunday. Well, that may be something we should do, but that's not how most of us are going to operate, okay? Same thing with our spiritual walk. I mean, we may look religious. We may know the right jargon. But without an intimacy and fellowship with the Lord on a regular basis, we miss the area of growing spiritually and being successful for when trials come and hardship comes and when the good days are there. So as we lean into the Lord with like devotionals and small group connection, Bible reading, prayer, learning to be more intimately and commune with the Spirit, what we begin to do is begin to walk with Him and talk with Him and listen to His voice. And so when things get difficult, we're going, well, we're already right here with the Lord. It's all right. Instead of going, well, I've got to get back to the, the things of God. We're already there. Makes it so much easier. But it begins with a personal relationship. Maybe you haven't trusted Christ. We want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning.
Maybe you just need to stop in the pew where you're at and say, God, I've been playing a game with you. I'm not really walking with you. Show me how to do that. Lead me to do that. Convict me to do that. Spend time in God's Word every day. A few minutes to have a conversation with God in prayer off and on through the day. To find a small group and connect with. To be regular and faithful in worship. Friends, if you'll do that, you will find that God will open your heart to things in the good days and the days of grief. And then ultimately we find that God will deliver us if we follow him at the end to glory. Father, we pray right now for those in this room who need to respond some way. We pray your hand on them as they they respond. We pray that they need to do it personally, privately, right there in the seat, that they would do that. If, God, they need to make some kind of public decision, they would do that. But ultimately, God, what we want is you to move in our lives, whatever that looks like to us today. We pray as we sing and respond that you would just be with us in these moments. In Jesus' name.